Hello and welcome to the Outside and Active podcast. My name is Dom and I'll be playing host to conversations tailored for those who love the outdoors. Thank you for joining me on this adventure where I speak to a whole host of interesting guests with inspiring stories. For our next stop on this adventure, I am joined by freestyle snowboarder and Olympian Katie Ormrod. Katie started snowboarding at just five years old and was even on skis before that at the age of three. She took part in gymnastics at the age of four, which complemented her freestyle ability in snowboarding due to her muscular strength and spatial awareness. And at 15, Katie became the youngest girl to land a double backflip on a snowboard. At the age of 16, did the world's first female backside double cork 1080. If you don't know what that means, then don't worry, we go through it on the podcast. In 2018, Katie qualified for the Winter Olympics in Pyeongchang, but in training in Pyeongchang, Katie fractured her heel and therefore missed out on competing. However, at the end of her outstanding 2019 and 20 comeback season, she was crowned Snowboard Slope Style Crystal Globe winner, which meant that she was the first British female as well as the first British snowboarder to complete the feat. In this episode, which we actually recorded at the National Snow Show, we chat through her rise to the Olympic stage, the details of that injury which took her out of the Pyeongchang Winter Olympics, and her future aspirations in the snowboarding world. And if you're thinking, hold on, I don't know anything about freestyle snowboarding or the Winter Olympics, then don't worry, we go through all of that in the podcast and you get an insight into what it's like being in that industry. And if you know who Katie is and have followed her story before, then again, this is a fantastic conversation with an amazing young snowboarder and it's great to hear what she's been up to and what she's going to be doing in the future. And if you're listening to this now on Apple or Spotify or any other podcast streaming service, then fantastic. Thank you for listening. But if you wanted to watch the video version of this podcast and some of the other ones that we've recorded, then you can do so by heading to YouTube and typing in Outside and Active. And you can also head to our website, outsideandactive.com, and the article that features this podcast will have the video embedded into it. But without further ado, let's head straight into this episode with Katie Ormerod. Hello, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm good. Welcome to the Outside and Active podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We're actually at the National Snow Show. You've just been on stage talking. How was that? Oh, it was amazing. I mean, it was such an honour as well to open it up, I guess, and, and be the first speaker of the show. And it was just so nice just to, you know, get stuck into it, just chat to everyone and have a few meet and greets after. So yeah, it's been good so far. Good, good. And you'll be roaming around talking to different exhibitors and people and brands and just seeing what's about. Yeah, yeah, I'm here all day. So yeah, just going to have a little browse. Haven't had a chance to actually look around properly yet and you know, head over to the little slope as well and see everyone learning how to snowboard. So yeah, it's going to be a fun day. Amazing, amazing. So we start this podcast, uh, all of our guests have a piece of advice that's given to them from a, a previous person that's come onto the episode. And your piece of advice comes from a lovely lady called Sally Orange who very aptly likes to run marathons, ultramarathons, set Guinness World Records, dressed as fruit. Started with oranges. Okay. <laughs> and then became other pieces of fruit. I think she's stretched into cheese now. Don't know right. why. Um, but her piece of advice for you is if you're going to do an event or a challenge or go to a competition uh, that might be quite stressful, making you nervous, then try and make your mindset be that you're going for the, the time of your life eradicate all of that stress you're going for the time of your life and you're just going to enjoy it how are you when you're competing do you get quite nervous do you get quite stressful are you actually quite relaxed that you're in control of what's happening 
Oh, I'm terribly nervous and I always have been. You know, I've been competing since I think I was maybe five years old because I've been a gymnast and a snowboarder, competing in both. And yeah, since day one, I've been nervous at competitions, but I kind of view it as my superpower now because although I am ridiculously nervous, I usually manage to pull it out of the bag every time and land my run. So yeah, I just accept it now. I'm like, okay, it sucks being that nervous, but you know, it, it pays off and I just have to kind of run with it. <laughs> Yeah, you started from a young age, three yeah. three years old, you were on skis. Three, I was on skis, started snowboarding at five. Wow. What was it that got you into that? Or was it family, friends, just a general interest at that young age? It was actually my mum and dad. So they were both keen snowboarders. They went snowboarding at my local dry slope in Halifax. And my cousin, Jamie Nichols, who's also a professional snowboarder, he started out around the same time as well. And it was like a big family thing. We all went on like snow holidays together. So it was just natural that, you know, eventually I wanted to be on a snowboard as well because my family were all doing it. And it just kind of took off, like started off as a hobby. Absolutely loved it and just progressed naturally because at the time, you know, it wasn't even an Olympic discipline, the one that I did, slope style and big air. So I was just doing it for the pure joy of it. And it was only later down the line when I was, you know, still progressing and doing all the UK comps and stuff that I was like, oh, wow, I could actually, you know, become professional at this and do it at the Olympics. Was that you realising that? Did you have people telling you, did you kind of realise, oh, I'm kind of doing this better than the people around me, this could be something that I could go on and do. Yeah, like I've always had this really big competitive streak in me. So whether it was in gymnastics or snowboarding, you know, I wanted to win and I wanted to be the best. And I constantly wanted to just better myself. And um, so when, you know, I got told that they were putting slope style in the Olympics, I was like, oh my God, like I could actually become an Olympian. Um, But yeah, I've just always had that in me that, that like need to, continue bettering myself and progressing and as even now as an adult you know I I view it as a competition with myself not so much the other riders I just want to better me. (laughs) And how does gymnastics play a role in snowboarding I presume it's the same with skiing as well how does that help? Yeah gymnastics I mean I'm so lucky that my mum and dad took me to both at the same time Um, and it only started out because apparently I was bouncing off the walls you know as a a kid you know I had so much energy so my mum was like okay if you're doing cartwheels and all these flips in the house you need to do it in a (laughs) safer environment so she took me to gymnastics and thank god that she did because you know like I probably wouldn't be the snowboarder I am today without it because you know they both go hand in hand with a spatial awareness muscular strength and endurance that you need in both sports and especially snowboarding, you know, you need to know where you are in the air. So the spatial awareness really, really helps with that. Did you get involved in any other sports or was it snowboarding and gymnastics was kind of the focus? I mean, I've always dipped in and out of other hobbies, not so much like growing up gymnastics and, my, and snowboarding were my sports. Like those were what I, I would do after school. Um but then I had hobbies like climbing, like I often climbed a lot with my friend, we just walked down to the local climbing centre and I'd do that in my spare time, a lot of cycling as well, try and go surfing every year if I can down in Cornwall, a um, bit of skateboarding, so yeah I've dipped in and out of different sports as hobbies and to be fair I'm still doing that now, I have absolutely <laughs> love trying new, new things. And people listening to this, a lot of people will know who you are, a lot of people might not have heard of you and it would be interesting to know, obviously, snowboarding, people can get their heads around. But what is it that's your discipline? What are you best at? So I do slope style and big air. And slope style is basically a run where you've got 
roughly three or four jumps and three or four different rail features and you have to get top to bottom doing tricks and spins on each feature landing it and basically doing the best that you can do and getting a good score big air is just one jump so you have to do like your biggest and best trick basically so yeah not as full on a slope style but similar in the fact that you still have to do your best so yeah freestyle disciplines (laughs) and that sounds scary as someone who has not done that where does that kind of no fear attitude characteristic come from have you always had that from a young age I think I've always had that where I haven't really had much fear um especially you know when you start a sport so young you don't really know the concept of fear properly so you just kind of like throw yourself in and you're more robust as well you know you can you can have big falls and be absolutely fine um and I think starting so young really helped me and I've always had like I've been a bit of an adrenaline junkie, I'd say, (laughs) you know, um, I think I was just born that way. You know, I love adrenaline. I love, um, you know, pushing my limits essentially. And I still do now. And um, I mean, as an adult, you know, I know the risks now more than I did when I was a child. You know, I've had my fair share of injuries, so I know the risks. Um, So sometimes fear does creep in a little bit, but I know how to deal with that now, whereas getting into the spot I didn't really have a clue I was just like this is so much fun (laughs) and that's all I really cared about and um just to give people an idea of how obviously good you are at doing what you do and you're 25 now you've been competing on obviously being on on a snowboard on skis for a long time but 15 years old you become the youngest girl to land a double backflip on snowboard I can get my head around that (laughs) but then at 16 world's first female backside double cork 1080 yeah which is an incredible name and probably a lot harder to do than it is to say but what is that how did that come about and then the feeling of being able to actually achieve that yeah so a backside double cock 1080 it's basically where you go off a jump and you do like a double somersault so you go around twice whilst doing 1080 degrees spinning rotation so it's really complicated and, and hard to get your head around even just saying it but yeah it's like a corkscrew double flip essentially in the easiest way to put it how do you how do you, I mean saying that it's like when you try and order something off a, off a restaurant or a menu yeah. that you have no idea what it sounds like but yeah how in terms of when you're in the air there must be times where you obviously don't know what's up and down left and right is that over time you kind of get used to the feeling of how many milliseconds in you know you're at that position of it but how does it kind of start from doing basic flips to 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 achieving that is it just practice and time it is yeah um a lot of it like with the double cock 1080 I'd put a lot of prep into it beforehand and it was a trick that no girl had ever done before so I'd prepped it with my coach over in America because we didn't have the facilities over in the UK and um, I mean before that I had no idea what that trick was <laughs> only guys had done it and I'd look at it and think I don't have a clue what is going on in that trick um, but it's all about spatial awareness and knowing where you are in the air and um, again gymnastics help with that and doing it into um, foam pits first over in America really helps me to get comfortable with that feeling and kind of knowing where I am because when you're spinning that quick and you're going upside down more than once it's hard to see <laughs> essentially you're just kind of relying on the feeling of where you are so yeah you really have to hone into that spatial awareness and kind of knowing how many times you've gone round and then when you feel like you've done it, you have to like open out and then you look in for the landing and riding away. But yeah, there is a lot of preparation that goes into tricks like that because the risk factor does go up. So you want to make sure that before actually trying it on snow for the first time that 
you're 99% sure you're going to be okay. Have you noticed since you've been competing in the industry for the last however many years, the more girls coming into the sport, the combination, you know, the, 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 the guys and the girls just being, obviously you're competing at, I guess, similar times when you're at the Olympics at the same times. Is it a lot more progressive now? Was it difficult to begin with kind of give people an idea of, of, of that industry? Oh, it's changed so much over the years in female snowboarding. You know, starting out, I actually had to learn on a boys' snowboard because girls' snowboards just didn't exist. Really? Yeah. So it's crazy to think that the sport has come so far now. You know, you've got all girl brands for snowboarding and skiing as well. Um, girl snowboards from, you know, the teeniest little things <laughs> um, so that you can start out on one when you're like one years old, for example, whereas that just wasn't a thing back when I was learning. Um and there were hardly any girls doing it. And the progression was a lot lower than it is now. So by the time I got to, you know, like Olympic standard, um, the standard was pretty high. Um, but now, you know, just fast forward in like eight years from when slope style was first and put into the Olympics, the standard is ridiculous. It, it's through the roof and it just keeps going that way. You know, girls are doing more double corks. Some girls are even doing triple corks. Like the level is just going up and up and up. And it's really exciting to be a part of that and to see the progression and to see girls getting recognized as well for that progression. And back in the day, you know, prize money was different. Guys would get it all. Girls would get hardly anything, but now it's all very equal and people have more respect for us. And it's really nice to see that it's progressed in that way. Good. As it should be. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so you're getting quite good at the snowboarding thing. You're building up, you're competing a lot, you're winning a lot of things, you're meddling. You're building up to the 2018 Olympics. Yeah. How long before that Olympics did you know that you were going? So you actually only find out like two weeks before flying. That seems crazy to me. <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, you kind of have a rough idea. Um, so for example, 2014, I tried qualifying for the Sochi Games and all the way through qualifying, like I had no idea because I was still young. I was only 15 at the time and, you know, it was a dream to go, but maybe looking back, like I, I only, well, I missed out by one spot. Um, so I wasn't like ready enough essentially, like, or just unlucky because going into 2018, I, I qualified, I think in like second place. So it was like completely different yeah. story. Um, but yeah, so 2018 I knew from the start that I would qualify essentially because I was consistently getting on the podium at World Cups making all the finals and you can kind of see and work it out in the world rankings where you are and how likely it is to qualify so I knew months and months in advance even like a season in advance that I'd be fine um but yeah, you don't officially get the get-go until two weeks before. Uh, and then you get all of the stash, you get all of the arrangements. And yeah. Just kind of, it must be all like a whirlwind. It's literally like, go, 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 like, go to kitting out, get your kit, um, get the flights booked, you know, get sorted. So, yeah, it's it's a whirlwind those two weeks before. But then what happened when you were training at the Olympics in 2018? Uh, so... Yeah, I get to the Olympics. I'm like, oh my gosh, my dream's coming true. <laughs> and I think the worst thing about the 2018 Olympics was that I actually was going there as a medal contender and I knew it. Like I, I podiumed at the test event in the season before. So I was like, I can actually do this. And yeah, the day before I think I was meant to compete in one of the training days, I just slipped off a rail first run of the day, like freak accident, just warming up and just broke my heel into two pieces 
and that I, I knew instantly I was like this is bad I was like not only am I out of the games but this is actually a bad injury yeah. um so it was just like oh, a roller coaster of emotions like I was gutted and did, how serious was the injury were you thinking how fast can I get back on a board or was it how f- long until I can actually walk again it was I mean initially I was just like I just want to be out of this pain it was the most amount of pain I've ever experienced um but then I had emergency surgery because it was so close to being like very disastrous, like the bone coming through the skin sort of. So yeah, very gruesome. Nice. Um, <laughs> um, so I had emergency surgery in Seoul and they put two pins in it because it was a very clean break, like straight into two. And usually heel bones just shatter, they don't break like that. So I was like, oh, this is going to be really simple. Like I'll be snowboarding by the Stitch end of the season. Yeah. yeah, I was like, oh, this is going to be three months. Um, but... Little did I know that that was not not the case. Um, I mean, for the amount of pain I, I was in, like looking back, I should have really known that there was something else going on um, because I basically my skin had was dying from the inside out, but I had no idea. Um, and the surgeons, they he knew about it because essentially my skin had just turned black, but I couldn't see because I was like in bed, could barely move in pain. Um, so I flew home and they took me straight to see a specialist in London. Um, he was a skin specialist and then he looked at it and he was like, we need to operate on this. And basically it was worst case scenario. So I had to then have yeah another five skin operations, skin grafts, um, and then a further two operations after that when all the skin operations were done to, because um, my bone had healed too much and it'd grow an extra bone so that had to be shaved off and then getting the pins out so yeah seven operations later and, and it was finally fixed but it was an absolute nightmare but you're, you must have only been 19 um I was I must have been 20 I was 20 and yeah and you, you've you've qualified for the Olympics you're building up you're there you're almost mindsets right medals mm-hmm. competing performing well and then you have this drop off of being injured and then you have to go through all of that. And then you just don't know where you're going to land in terms of being able to get back on a board again. Mm. Where's your mindset there? Because that's difficult for anyone, but let alone a 20 year old. Yeah, I mean, it was hard, like very hard mentally. And looking back, you know, I'm like, no surprise. <laughs> it was mentally challenging. But that t- at the time, I didn't have a clue what was going on with me. I was like, why am I like so sad all the time? Um but looking back, I'm like, well, it would probably be weird if I wasn't <laughs> because I just essentially had my Olympic medal dream like ripped from me. Um, it was in the most amount of pain I've ever experienced in my life and I had to miss 18 months of snowboarding. So it was, yeah, I'm not surprised I was <laughs> I was struggling a bit. But, um, you know, luckily I, I did get through that because I think I was battling with the fact that it was very close to being career ending. Yeah. And I fully believed that, like, it was possibly going to be career ending at one point because I just I couldn't walk without a bad limp I actually tried snowboarding at one point because I was physically strong you know my heel my my heel um healed (laughs) and um, all the muscles around it were strong so I was like I can try it and I just couldn't do it it was so painful and that was terrifying because I thought what else am I going to (laughs) do you know I I expected to be snowboarding for as long as I wanted and stop on my terms not because of an injury so yeah it was a really scary time but luckily you know I I persevered and I remained as positive as possible and and I got through it. 18 months must have been probably the longest time that you hadn't been on a snowboard since you were five. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah so it was a long time. Good. Yeah, it was it was really hard, and you know, I missed being out with my friends. My whole life had just completely changed. I was just doing rehab every day, um, and luckily, I did have an amazing team around me to help me get back. But it was not what I wanted. Right. <laughs> and when you then eventually get back on, and it's a really positive feeling, I imagine. But it must also be quite difficult. Is there something in the back of your head going? Last time I did this, this happened, or is it just I'm so happy to be back doing this? As soon as I got back on my board, I just I was so happy. Yeah, I wasn't there wasn't any fear or doubt there because I'd put the work in the rehab, so I knew that you know it was a hundred percent strong and stronger than before. You know, my my body was stronger than it was before, so I was just so grateful more than anything to be back on my board because I thought for a long time that that would never happen again and. I think that's why I then went on to have like the best season of my career because I was just, you know, living my life and yeah, yeah, having no pressure, no expectations put on me and just, you know, living in the moment, the present moment. And it all just kind of worked out for me after that. So then you're building back up again for the 2022 Winter Olympics. Yeah. Qualify. Yeah. And then going into that again, I presume that's the same thing. Two weeks out, Mm -hmm. you told again. Yeah. What are your feelings going into that one? So very different going into 2018 because although like technically they wouldn't class me as an Olympian because I didn't compete, I still felt very much an Olympian. I was like, you know, I got there, um, I've experienced a bit of it. So I know what the vibe is. It wasn't going to be brand new. So I was like, okay, I'm already, I've got experience under my belt. And um, I also had an extra four years experience (laughs) on top of that. You know, I was older, wiser. I just had the most successful season of my career by winning the Crystal Globe and another five or six podiums. Yeah, six podiums in a season. So so I was feeling, you know, really good. And I had a good run that I was like, you know, this could be challenging, the, the podium, if I can put it down. So it was nice because I wasn't... I'd learned from my 2018 experience and I was like, I'm not going to put any pressure on me, on myself, not going to let any external pressures, you know, build up or anything like that. But there are obviously still pressures, yeah. <laughs> especially having such a good season, you know, everyone expects you to get a medal. But I just tried to remain as headstrong as possible and go into it. But obviously it was, it was so different because of COVID, you know, it was a crazy, crazy experience. Yeah, I can imagine what was it, was it? I mean, obviously enjoyable and fun and special, like all the things you said, but how different was it from four years before? So different. I mean, 2018, I think I was only there five days, but, you know, the vibe was just totally different. You'd be walking around the village, you can hang out with people, you can meet friends from other nations. Um, You can basically just have the freedom that you want in the village. Whereas in Beijing, you know, you literally have to be so careful not even just at the olympics but the run-up to it you know if you get covid you're not going to the olympics so oh, yeah, you have to be, be so so careful and oh it was very very stressful when you get that negative test oh, yeah whatever, it must be like oh, okay i'm going yeah fine, just get me on the plane yeah and then i mean we were even seeing people who were testing positive once they arrived and then they were just getting shipped off into like this holding place and having to wear like hazmat suits and all that and I was like that that is scary so I was like I do not want that to happen <laughs> but um luckily it was relatively smooth albeit a very different experience and you just get used to it you know you had to have daily COVID tests and you, there was like a center right outside breakfast so you'd basically go get your COVID swab go for breakfast and that was just your morning routine checking your temperature every day masks literally 24 7 unless you're in the shower or sleeping or eating um so yeah you and you got used to it you know at the start it was like well this is weird 
but yeah, you got used to it. Although it was very lonely as well, you couldn't really hang out with anyone else from the teams. You had to be so careful. So it was a lonely experience, but still an experience. Yeah. And the other girls, I presume, you're competing with throughout the seasons as well, so you know them quite well. You said you're competitive with yourself. Mm-hmm. Is there just such a good atmosphere with everyone? Are you supporting each other? Obviously, you want to do as best as you can yeah. and put yourself in as best position as possible. But you must know each other so well, similar age groups as well. Yeah, it's nice because once you get to that top level, it is quite small at the top and everyone knows each other. And you're constantly training at the same places, going to the same competitions. So you do get to just know everyone. And, and luckily, snowboarding is a really like nice environment um, and there's always a nice atmosphere you know it's it is competitive but not in a a nasty way um it's very I'd say it's a healthy competitiveness that goes on in the sport so yeah it is nice and, and you do get to know everyone so yeah it's it's cool was it nice when you got that first practice run out of the way yeah definitely <laughs> to be fair it was I mean when I was at the Olympics in Beijing like it was weird because I didn't realise I'd still have demons from the 2018 Olympics. You know, I got there and I was like, I don't want to be that girl that breaks herself two Olympics in a row. So that was like constantly on my mind as well. So it was quite stressful, but I was like, I just need to do my best. All I can do is my best. And there were a lot stacked up against me, I feel, in Beijing, like a lot of difficult conditions, yeah. but I, I gave it my all. I didn't really get the overall result I wanted, but... I still went out there and I finally became an Olympian yeah. like after all those years of trying. <laughs> and um, to be fair, I was like, I took a minute at the top of my first um, run to just be like, wow, I've, I've come a long way. You know, like four years ago, I thought that was it. I thought my career was over and here I am at another Olympics. So I was like, I'm just going to do my best. If I land my run, I'll be more than happy. And, and I did, I landed both. So I was absolutely over the moon. I was like, thank God. And thank God I'm in one piece. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Check the heels. Yeah. Right, in one piece. So now is it about building up for the next one? Yeah, definitely. Like, um, I'm really, I really want to go to the 2026. Yeah. Olympics in Milan. Milan. Um, so, and it, that's going to be really nice because it's, it's close to home. It's in Europe. Hopefully my family can finally go out and watch an Olympic yeah, Games. No, so they haven't seen anything yet, but um, I feel like they deserve to go and watch as well. Um, and the food will hopefully be nicer, like Italian food. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it's going to be a good one. We train regularly in Livigno, and that's where the slope style is going to be. So I feel like I at least know the area. I'm aware that it's going to be really cold, but I'm used to that kind of because we train there. So I kind of know the conditions as well. Um, so yeah, it should be nice, and it's it's going to come around so so fast. Yeah, definitely, you come from an area from Yorkshire that yeah. isn't exactly best known or synonymous with snow and slopes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So how does a five year old girl get into that industry, that world? So I I believe it's all about access to facilities, and I live ten minutes away from a dry slope, and that's basically why I got into it had I've not lived there you know I'd probably be doing some other sport um not snowboarding but yeah it was all about being 10 minutes away from Halifax and just going there every day after school on the weekends riding with my friends being part of that community like back in the day it was a huge community you know it was always packed with people um everyone knew each other the atmosphere was amazing and ultimately that led to you know where I am today because I thrived off of that and Everyone w- would help each other, push each other, and that's what helped me to progress. Amazing. And it, 
do you see yourself as an inspiration or someone to look up to a role model for someone who might be in your position would have been in your position when you were five looking up to the next person do you aware of that do you have conversations with people that they're interested in being where you are in 20 years time yeah I mean I just feel like me but yeah. <laughs> I mean I was the only snowboarder for a freestyle snowboarder at the last Olympics so like I am really proud of that fact and I really want to give back to like the grassroots community and you know I, I w- really want to inspire the young kids in Britain to to get out there put a snowboard on and have some fun because you know I, I didn't have to move to Europe or anything like that to to become an Olympian you know I, I've lived in Yorkshire my whole life I just had to work very very hard to get to the top level but you know if, if you work hard and you have the passion and you, you know I've, I've proved that you can do it coming from where I've come from in West Yorkshire we know mountains um so yeah I, that would be my biggest advice to anyone you know just if you've got access to a facility just and you enjoy it like go for it because that's led to me becoming an Olympian and and yeah I've, that is essentially how I got there didn't have to move to the mountains or anything like that what would you say is your biggest achievement in your competing career today um I would say winning the crystal globe yeah that's my biggest achievement I think because it's always been on my bucket list <laughs> to win it because it, it's so hard to win. You know, you have to podium at pretty much every World Cup in that season, which is not easy. <laughs> um, but I did it in my comeback season after breaking my heel and that just meant everything to me um, from going, yeah, go, basically going from near career end to you know winning my first Crystal Globe. It was the most amazing feeling and I feel like even though, you know, I made my Olympic dream come true, the Crystal Globe still tops that. <laughs> so then if you if you got to a position where you medalled at the Olympics, mm. would that sit up alongside it or is that not something you could think about? I mean, yeah, obviously I'd love to win an Olympic medal, <laughs> who wouldn't? But even then, you know, I, I still, it would be very competitive with whether I favour the Crystal Globe or the Olympic medal because the Crystal Globe just has so much more meaning to it, I feel, with come everything else, yeah. yeah. But obviously, you know, who wouldn't want an Olympic medal? <laughs> Slightly different couple of questions before we get to the, the last couple. An ideal trip that you have done, and then the other side of that, an ideal trip that you haven't done but you would love to, it it can be around snowboarding, you know, snow snow industry type mm-hmm. thing, or it can just be anything. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm going to say, like, outside of snowboarding, I just went to Bali, Indonesia. (laughs) Um, Always wanted to travel to that part of the world, Um, have a bit of sun and heat for a change, Um, because I've always just, I mean, I absolutely love the mountains, um, going snow to all these different snowy places, but I've never really gone on a proper summer trip. So that was amazing, got to see a different part of the world, different cultures. And then I'd say a trip that I haven't been on, but I want to, would be um, Japan, going to ride some powder in Japan I've never really had a proper powder trip and never really ridden much powder at at all actually um I usually just go straight to the park but yeah Japan's somewhere that I'd I'd love to go I never realized until a friend has has gone out there to to ski as well how big it is out there Mm. I never realized and so that would be it's huge yeah experience yeah definitely and um Bali did you go when it was was it hot there or was it like some people get where it's like tropic thunderstorms no, we were really lucky. I think we went in the off season. It was May when I went, um, but there weren't really. I think there was one day where it rained, and the rest was just warm. So, and it was like perfect temperature, not too hot, not too cold. Um, didn't need a wetsuit <laughs> for the sea, which was lovely. Um, but yeah, it was amazing. 
So what's next for you in the near future? What competitions, just carrying on training, building up towards that next Olympics? Right now I'm focusing on my training and then post Christmas uh, I've got a very, very busy World Cup um, schedule um, with World Championships as well this season. So yeah, it's going to be really hectic, but really exciting as well. Amazing. Well, best of luck for that. There's Thank only you. one more thing that we need from you. Yeah. You had a piece of advice at the beginning from the lady who wears through. Now is a piece of advice for you to give to someone coming on our podcast soon. Okay, so my advice would be to have as much fun as possible. Don't put too much pressure on yourself. Try and ignore the external pressures. And if you want to get to the top, then yeah, just have fun. Go ride with your friends or whatever you do in whatever sport you're doing. And um, hopefully that will work out because that's what, how I got to the top level. And it worked out well. Yeah. Katie, <laughs> thank you very much. Good luck for early next year. Thank you. Well, I never thought that the bone in your heel recovering too well would be an issue, but you learn something new every day and it was kind of queasy going through that conversation, but equally as interesting hearing about Katie's experience having that injury when she's just about to compete and then having to go through rehab and then come back again in a few years' time. I mean, an incredible story. And that brings to the end of episode three of season six of the Outside and Active podcast. Thank you for listening. And uh, this episode actually starts off a few episodes in a series that will be based around the snow industry, uh, the outdoors, adventuring, climbing. And uh, they're extremely interesting. And like I said at the beginning of this podcast, even if you know nothing about the industry, these are incredibly interesting, inspiring individuals with amazing stories. Uh, We've got the likes of Everest climbers and speed snowboarders and future gold medal Olympic hopefuls coming up. So some amazing stories. And uh, like I said at the beginning, we will be uploading a lot of these onto the Outside and Active YouTube channel. So if you want to check that out, and you can do so by heading to outsideandactive.com and clicking on the articles for the podcast where they will be embedded or just by heading to YouTube and typing in Outside and Active. Don't forget to follow us on social media, type in Outside and Active Facebook, Instagram will be there. Follow all of the things that we do and all of the other written content that we have on our website, Outside and Active. As always, if you love this podcast and think you know someone who would enjoy it just as much as you, then forward it on to them, recommend them. Let's grow this family, grow this audience and all be inspired and entertained together. It would also massively help us out if you left a review on Apple and I believe you can do it on Spotify now. Like I said, it would really help and it would be interesting to hear what you guys think about the guests, about the podcast and leave us you know, some suggestions for who you'd like to see on it as well. But that wraps up all of the content for this week. Enjoy yourselves. We'll be back next Tuesday for another episode of the Outside and Active podcast. Till that time, enjoy the outdoors. Outside and Active.